Our God, our Heavenly Father, in His love for us, sent His Son for us. He sent His Son for us to take the punishment of sin so that we would not have to bear the sin. And in Christ Jesus, who lived, died, and rose again, we have that forgiveness of sin. That He is our risen Lord. And this is what we confess every Easter, is it not? He is risen. He is risen indeed. So each year, each Easter, we gather together as a body of believers with family and friends. Go to church, we proclaim He is risen, He is risen indeed. And then there's the ham or the turkey and the eggs and other things that go along with Easter, right? There's all that festival part of Easter. And then often families, they have to depart, they have to go home. And people go to bed and they're full, their stomachs are full and they're satiated. And East, another Easter's done and we just kind of drift off to sleep. Did I get it somewhere in there? Something like that. But then comes Monday and Tuesday. And if you're like a lot of families, there might be a lot of egg salad sandwiches. <laughs> right? Easter starts to fade a little bit. The people who come, take a look, the church isn't as full as it was last week. The people who have come for that Easter, they start to go back. And for us, even as believers, Easter starts to fade a bit. It gets a little foggy for us. We think, well, okay, he's risen. But then the question becomes this, right? Well, now what? He's risen. Now what? I mean, that's a question all Christians grapple with. If we're serious about the Christian faith, we grapple with this question, now what? If you're not serious about the Christian faith, then you probably have family and friends and loved ones who might not be. They kind of go, eh, not a big deal. We did Easter, check the box. But for people who are followers of Christ, that question, now what, is an important question. I have to tell you, it was first and foremost on the disciples' mind, think about it. The disciples, right, followers of Jesus for three years who had been with him, who had committed their lives to him. They had seen him crucified, died, and laid in the tomb. And the tomb was sealed shut. And then the women, think about the women. The women were there, they went to the tomb, and they came back with this audacious story that the tomb was now empty, that the body was missing. So Peter and John run to the tomb to check this out, and they can't believe their eyes. Jesus isn't there. The body is missing. And the women said, well, we saw him. He said, go to Galilee, and they, they go back to the room. I mean, this is a question that was on their mind. Now what's happening here? They were, they, you have to think, these were not the, the disciples that were brave in the gospel at this point. They were afraid. They hid in the room. They locked the door. They had a lot of doubt and fear. And yet Jesus had picked them, hadn't he? He called each one of them, said, you're to be my disciple. You're to be my follower. And so for the ones he has chosen, 
he comes to them and says three things. And he gives them peace and assurance. He gives them a commission. And then he equips them. So he gives them peace and assurance. He gives them a commission. And he equips them. This is what happens in our account here. So let's go with our account. Peace and assurance. Going back to the text. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week. What would be the first day of the week, by the way? Sunday, right? The day he rose. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. So fear is a natural experience. And there are many things that we are afraid of, both real and imaginary. The disciples, you've put yourself in their place. They were afraid for real things. The Romans would be looking for the body of Jesus. They would be looking for his disciples. And most likely, the disciples could easily be put to death. They were fearful for their lives. And they had good reason. But they were also fearful because the man in whom they had put their hope had died. Wasn't this the Messiah? I mean, were they so mistaken? And so they had a lot of doubt about this. I mean, really think about it. They must have thought that they were fools, that they had been fooled by this man. They didn't know what to think. But now Jesus comes into this room, and it's a locked room, right? It says locked. How did he appear? The scripture doesn't say so. It only says that he does appear. And notice when he appears to them, he does not say, I'm real. He does not say, I am risen. I mean, right? You would think he would say something like that. But he actually says to them this, peace be with you. What an interesting thing to say, meeting somebody who has just been risen from the dead. Peace be with you. In some ways, this is the very first sermon that Jesus gave after he rose from the dead. Now, in those days, peace be with you was a common greeting, but it wasn't just a common greeting like, hi, how are you doing? This was a, 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 a sense of comfort, a sense of good news. The peace of God be with you. Because at its heart, the gospel is a gospel of peace. So how is the gospel a gospel of peace? If you were here for Good Friday, we talked about how Jesus said, to tell us die, which means it is finished. He said, all of sin, all of death, and the penalty for all of that has been paid in full on the cross. It is finished. It is no more. And now what is available to you, and now what was not available to you, is now available to you, which is a restored relationship with God. You have peace with God. So all of this was be declared, the peace was declared because of the resurrection and the resurrection made sure that the peace was eternal. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 17 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has both made us one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Notice how much peace is used in those few verses. It is what he preached. It is peace. Now, when we speak about the peace of the Lord or our peace, we normally think about an internal feeling of peace. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about the peace of God that is declared to you, that is given to you. It is this. Our peace is found in the reality of Jesus his death and resurrection, our peace is made sure. So you can stand firm no matter the trials, no matter the tribulations, in the peace of Christ, made sure through his death and resurrection. So this is, by the way, this is why Jesus showed the side. We need that physical assurance, right? Look at my side, look at my hands. They needed that physical assurance. Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. He certainly needed that assurance. He said, I'm never going to believe unless I actually can put my finger in the wound. And he did. And what did he declare? My Lord and my God. He knew that Jesus is God. And thus, Peace be with you is both a proclamation and a promise. The peace that Jesus bestows upon us is a proclamation and a promise to all believers that there is a peace for each one of you that transcends this world. This is important because uh, have you taken a look at the world lately? Not a whole lot of peace out there, is there? So when we take a look externally, there's a lot of warring factions throughout the land. But have you taken a look inside lately, internally? And even internally, most of us don't have the peace that we want. There's a lot of inner turmoil. Like if some of us can't even sit still, right? Because there's no peace. Or you lose sleep because there is no peace. And there are a lot of doubts and fears. There are doubts and fears about faith. There's doubts and fears uh, about, do I deserve this peace? Do I deserve to be forgiven? There's doubts and fears that we simply have about our own personal nature, our own failings, our guilt and our shame. Is this resonating? I mean, I could go on and on. I actually wrote more, but I thought that's probably enough. You understand the inner turmoil that we have. And you know what? It's really easy 
It's really easy when there's the inner turmoil as well to want to shut the door, to want to lock the door, to want to just be by yourself, away from all the world to try to shut it out. But at that time, that's really the time to open up your Bible. That's really the time for you to ponder God's word. Reflect on what Jesus said before he went to the cross. John chapter 14. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John chapter 16. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The peace that comes from Christ is found in his death, in his resurrection. And it assures us of that peace. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4 says, By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, because as he is so also we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now, none of this believes, none of this says that we won't have turbulent times. Jesus knew that you and I would face trials and tribulations and we would face difficult times. But he said, in spite of all of this, in spite of all of this, you may have a peace and assurance that transcends everything. Philippians chapter 4, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace be with you is what Jesus says. And this is the fullness of what he means. Peace be with you. Now, let's go to the next part, which is the commission. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Here's some interesting thing in here. The word, Greek word, original language, the Greek word for sent is apostolo. Does that sound familiar? It's from which we get the word apostle. Apostle means being sent forth, equipped for a mission or commissioned. So Jesus said to them, as the Father has sent me, as the Father has commissioned me, I am commissioning you. And you have to understand, when Jesus says that, he says, as the Father has commissioned me, has sent me, right? It means he has the full authority of the Father. So when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, I, Jesus, he's saying, am giving you my full authority in this commission. A commission to be sent forth, equipped, dispatched. You know how in the military, right, there's commissioned officers? 
They are given authority by someone above them. Here, Jesus says, the Father has given me authority, and now I, through my authority, send you. But how did the Father send Jesus? Well, we find that in John 3.16, right? You know this one? For God so loved the world that he what? Sent. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever does what? Believes in him shall not perish but have? That's right. The Father sent the Son so that they would believe in the Son and thus have everlasting life, that they would not perish, that they they would not be condemned. And so, thus the mission that Jesus gives the ones who are sent, the apostles, is very clear. It is to share with others so that others, they, believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God, that through him and him alone, They are forgiven of their sins and thus restored to a full relationship with God. That's the commission. That's what he sent them on. Now, uh, if you were here during Lent, Pastor Dan referenced Romans chapter 10. And I just want to read this. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Isn't that an odd phrase, how beautiful the feet? It's an Old Testament reference. But do you remember in our study from Ephesians, what did we wear on our, on our feet? Gospel, the uh, armor of God? Shoes for the gospel of peace, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who have the gospel of peace. So this is what he sent them on. Now, I like this one. C.H. Spurgeon put it very succinctly. It is the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Brothers and sisters, that's our commission. As Jesus sent the apostles, the apostles then sent their disciples, who then sent their disciples, who then sent their disciples, who then sent us. This is our job. This is our commission. And we have this commission not on our parents' authority, not on our parents' parents' authority, but on the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Now, as part of that commission, I want to talk about what is difficult for many people to hear. So, Jesus said this, as part of the commission, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you would hold the sins of any, it is withheld. This is a hard saying of Jesus. We would rather not have that part of the commission, but it comes in exactly the right sentence right after it. We can't ignore this one. Forgiveness of sin. So those who reject Jesus, this is an audacious claim, right? 
First of all, they're going to say, who are you to judge? They might not know anything about the Bible, but they'll pull out that one verse. Judge not lest you be judged. That's all they know of the Bible. And they say, who are you to judge? But Jesus gave a very clear statement here, didn't he? If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness of any, it is withheld. So the unbeliever says, well, you, you, you say that you're not going to judge me, but you're judging me. You say you have the keys of the kingdom of heaven and hell in your hands, and you're going to send me to heaven or hell. Isn't that judgment at its hip- highest hypocrisy? So how do we answer that? Is the unbeliever wrong in their assessment? Is it just about judgment, and are we just judging people? Are we condemning people? Do we save people? Who can actually forgive sins against God? God. Look, if you were in an accident, if you saw an accident, right? One car hit another. And you didn't talk to anybody. Car A is in the fault. You go to car B. Uh, I'm sorry. Car A is in the fault. Yeah, in the fault. Car B uh, is the one who has been hit. Just on your own, you go to car B, the person who's been hit, and you say, that guy in car A, he forgives you. Or you go to the other car and say, he forgives you. I mean, that... That wouldn't make sense, would it? Either way, I said the story. I know I kind of messed it up there too, but either way, it wouldn't make sense. Do you have the authority to forgive just as an innocent bystander? You don't, do you? But if the guy who was hit says, come here, go to the guy who hit me and say, if, if he's sorrowful, say, I forgive you. You could do that, right? So in a like manner, we give forgiveness as a proclamation of what God has said. Or we withhold forgiveness as a proclamation for what God has said. Here. George Campbell Morgan put it this way. To whom have I the right to say, your sins are forgiven? To any man, to any woman, to any youth who, conscious of sin, repents toward God and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? If they repent and they're sorrowful, declare to them that they are forgiven before God. He goes on, though. And when, for some reason of supposed intellectual pride, more often of moral wrongdoing, the soul has persisted in sin, saying, no, I cannot give this up, then I have to say to that soul, your sins are not forgiven. They are retained. They remain with you. Jesus told them, if you forgive sins, they are forgiven. If if you do not, you withheld, they are not forgiven. And they do this on whose authority? Jesus' authority, not their own. 
Now, I know this does this still sound harsh, still sound difficult. I was talking to a woman a couple of years ago, and boy, she didn't like that at all. And basically it was the, who are you to judge? And I, I put it like this. I said, look, if a person is standing before an elevator and it's out of order, but the door is open and there's a gaping hole that they're going to fall to their death, it's about 10 stories down. Is it judgmental for me to say, don't go in the elevator, you're going to die? Is that judgmental? It's not. It's actually a loving act to not say anything, to see that this person would actually go in the elevator and fall down the shaft. Wouldn't that be a hateful thing to do? So for somebody to say, this is not God's will, and here's the scripture where God says that this is wrong. Is that hateful? Or is it actually a loving thing to do? And see, this is what we have to grapple with in this commission. This is the commission that Jesus gave to the disciples. In Luke, he, he said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then he said, you are witnesses of these things. So you're witnesses, the ones who are sent. Yeah, now I know that this is uncomfortable, that we want to take this particular section of Scripture and say, well, this is just for the apostles. It's not for us. And yet, that's what the apostles taught. And that's what their disciples taught. And that's what their disciples taught. And it's been taught throughout the ages that this wasn't just for them, that this was for all of us to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sin and peace with God. So Jesus, he gave them peace and assurance. He commissioned them. And then he also equipped them. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So what's important to note that Jesus did not send out the disciples unprepared. First of all, they had been with him for three years, but even on their own, where were they? They were locked in a room, afraid. So he equips them, and how does he equip them? He equips them with the Holy Spirit. See, on their own, without the Holy Spirit, they're in trouble. But it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that they can do the work that he has given them to do. So here's the Holy Spirit's role. The Holy Spirit's role is to equip believers. It's to build up the church and then reach others, reach the lost. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, our work is in vain. So next month, we're actually going to do a three-part series on the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be equipped from the Holy Spirit? So I'm going to go into much more in-depth on that in that particular series. But right now, I just simply want to footnote it here, that it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do anything in Christ Jesus. So the questions for you this morning is, how will you seek peace and assurance? Have you answered the call of your commission? 
And how do you need to be equipped for your commission? In essence, are you praying for the Holy Spirit to guide and strengthen you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we seek you with all of our heart, knowing that in you and you alone there is peace, that there is assurance. And we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to equip us for the commission on which you have sent, on which you have sent us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. God's peace and joy in Christ Jesus be with you.